0: Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. You know, many people want to make a lasting kingdom impact with their lives, but they're not really sure where to start. At Ozark Christian College, the Master of Arts in Biblical Ministry will equip you for effective ministry rooted in scripture. This degree is for people serving in a church, nonprofit, or parachurch organization. With online and on-campus options, the Master of Arts in Biblical Ministry prepares you to answer the kingdom assignment God has for you. Learn more and apply for free at occ.edu masters. What's up, my disciple-making friends? This is Dave Stovall, and you're listening to The Disciple Makers Podcast. Today's episode is all about transparency. This is Global Discipleship Initiative second track session from last year's forum. And Greg and Ralph and Dan go into detail about leading people through transformation, but leading by example. Setting the example with the level of transparency that you bring to your group will actually trickle down to everybody else's level of transparency as well. It's a beautiful thing. I'm actually a leader of a small group in my church as well. We call them transformation groups or T groups for short, and I've seen this to be true, and I found this episode to be really helpful because it encouraged me and inspired me and convicted me in some ways that I wasn't doing things completely right. So I found it to be super helpful, and I'm sure that you will as well. All right, let's jump in and let's hear from Global Discipleship Initiative, Greg Ogden, Ralph Rittenhouse, and Dan Dominguez. Here we go.
1: Hopefully everybody is well rested this morning and eager and ready to get going. See the people in the peanut gallery back there enjoying their seats? Uh, so let's work, let's start with a word of prayer this morning. Our God, we come before you. We thank you so much for uh, this conference and for the leadership of it and the vision uh, behind it to draw uh, disciple-making ministries together. Uh, each one of us contributing to the health of the whole body of Christ and we thank you for that and uh, the part that each one play and part that we have an opportunity to play as well in this uh, this ministry uh, thank you for all that are represented here the different churches and ministries that are in this room now and uh, we ask for your certainly your hand and your blessing upon them and may what we do in this hour and the next uh, be be Uh, To your glory and create a vision uh, for what can happen uh, in people's lives uh, Through these small microgroup experiences of transformation. We pray in Jesus name. Amen Amen. Okay, we have been building a series of uh, discoveries and so what we have set up in your Your outline that you have in front of you here. You can see our four sessions and the you know we've covered obviously the first two and so on our first session, we started with a, a picture of a church that went through a process of transformation. And so we could see uh, at the Camarillo Community Church that Ralph uh, Rittenhouse uh, was the pastor of, and how <coughs> over a five-year period, they went from zero discipleship groups to about 150, and, uh, and changed the entire identity and culture of the church uh, during that, that period of time. Uh, and it wasn't by accident. It, it, it was a sovereign work of God, but because people who were in leadership uh, decided to join with God in that sovereign work. So it just it doesn't just happen uh, with that way. So under Ralph's leadership and all the staff and, and core elders being engaged in the common ministry of making disciples, uh, particularly through the microgroup experience, and we kind of unpack that in our second session, uh, the unique experience of what a microgroup is. Uh, one person inviting two or three others into relationship, how that difference, differs from program. Uh, we like to hurt people through systems and programs. Uh, this is about relationship. This is about God putting people on your heart, calling them to, to join you in a journey together, looking somebody in the eye, inviting them to be on that journey with you, and how different that is from st- somebody standing up in front of a church and saying, uh, I'll sign up for this program. <laughs> And uh, who signs up for that program? <laughs> the same 10 to 15% that sign up for everything else and you haven't really done a whole lot in that, in that time. So as uh, so we delve on that today, we're gonna go into kind of part two on the relational environment. And that is the transformational nature of the microgroup experience and what makes for that transformational nature. And we're gonna really, as you'll see, dwell on two qualities uh, in the time that we have. Uh, the first quality you'll see is transparent trust, the openness that can occur in the context of a microgroup experience, and how that creates the environment for transformation, and then the covenantal nature of, of these groups. So let me jump us into that, and uh, we'll, I we, in our video lab yesterday, if you were here, you you saw Bob Mar- Marvel talk about um, the secret sauce. Well, he talked about the secret sauce of microgrouping, the multiplicational effect of that secret sauce. But I think there's another secret sauce, and that is creating an honest, open environment that accelerates authentic spiritual growth. And that's uh, our topic today. So myself, uh, Ralph, and Dan will be sharing in leadership in this time. So we call the uh, microgroups the hothouse of the Holy Spirit, creating the hothouse effect, accelerated transformation advancing that transformation in a more rapid fashion and here's the key core elements there Uh, and like i said only two of these four will we be able to have a time to talk about today but when we open our hearts in transparent trust uh, around the truth of god's word in a spirit of mutual or life change accountability uh, engaged in our god-given mission we are in the holy spirit's hothouse of transformation so the next image on the screen i want to um, share with you is this one, uh, a group of prisoners from a Texas prison, uh, and actually a maximum security prison. You might recognize what it says up here, Hothouse of the Holy Spirit as center <laughs> to this, this prison gathering. These are 48 prisoners in a unit within this Texas prison, the John B. Connolly Jr. Uh, Texas prison. And they are in this Hothouse experience of 48 prisoners because they have applied Uh, to be in it, because they want to be disciples of Jesus while they're in prison. So they're living together during this time, and uh, the Texas prison chaplain that I was working with read my book, Transforming Discipleship, saw this phrase, had one of the artists, because they're really good artists in prison, uh, (laughs) blow blow this thing up and create it. That's done in prison itself. So hot house of the Holy Spirit, when we open our hearts and trust to each other around the truth of God's word, in a spirit of life-changing accountability, we are in the Holy Spirit's hothouse of transformation. So, um, so I'm going to just give you a quick prison story. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, for the past oh, six and a half years, uh, because of my experience in this prison back in 2012, God called me into prison ministry. So I was for every Wednesday morning uh, when I was in town, uh, I would go to a local prison, about 45 minute drive, in the state of California. I'm from Monterey, California. Greg Ogden's my name. I didn't even introduce myself. Uh, but uh, we got a lot to cover here. We got to get going. Uh, so, um, anyhow, so I would show up every Wednesday and meet not these guys, but uh, other guys and uh, have the joy of being involved in, in prison ministry. I just was talking to a gentleman right before our, our class who came in here, Jared, uh, and he said their house church was deeply influenced. Uh, with the use of Discipleship Essentials, because one of the guys that came into their church had just come out of prison, had met Christ in prison, had been discipled by using Discipleship Essentials in prison, introduced the book to his church. A prisoner introduced the book and the process uh, to to that church. So that warms my heart (laughs) to to hear that story. So uh, one of the things I have done over the years is donate books to prisons. And uh, so I got this letter. Uh, from the Jefferson City Correctional Center uh, because I had given a couple dozen books uh, to them. So this gentleman writes to me about what has happened there. I wanted to write to encourage you. God has used your words with great impact here among the Brothers in Chains. A quick rundown of who we are and how this group got started. We are a level five maximum security prison. Many of us have life sentences. Some of us will never leave these fences. It's a great temptation to believe that in a society has deemed us as unfit to live among them. God has given up on us as well. The lies the enemy whispers in our ears come in the form of doubt, guilt, shame, and a lot of uselessness. Quote, God can never use someone like you. Quote, you are disqualified. Even more, quote, God would never love someone like you. Well, thankfully, we believe the Bible is true and the gospel is for us. Grace is amazing precisely because it saves wretches like us. Out of the ashes of our sin and addictions, God has brought forth for the beauty of a community of broken men desperate for a Savior. Also believing that the Great Commission is for us, we knew that we carried a responsibility to make disciples, Christ-centered, reproducing disciples. So several years ago, about 10 of us gathered together and came up with a strategy for reaching men around us for Christ. Each of us would find two men who were saved, hungry, and untaught, and we would take a year of our lives and pour into them. And of course, here's where you came in. Your curriculum and generosity to provide us with books gave us a foundation to get started. I wish I could tell you that a couple of years later, every convict in prison was walking with the Lord. (laughs) Of course, that is not the case. Uh, But this month, we have started our fourth generation of discipleship. Every man went through the program and then was challenged to find two faithful men to pass the baton of discipleship to. To see multiplication in action has been such a blessing. We are growing, and here's my favorite line: "God is becoming famous here." <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, that's just to kind of whet our appetite. Uh, in terms of, uh, I could go on and read more in that letter, which is phenomenal. Um, so. Um, Let's delve into what we're trying to accomplish here in this session. God's Word shapes our hearts in an honest, open, and mutually accountable environment. So we're really focusing on that honest and open and then mutually accountable, which will be the covenantal uh, aspect of it. So when I get into this today, uh, I to if you haven't gotten this resource, uh, the book that has impacted me the most over the last six months is uh, Peter Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Uh, I'm not, so I think it's okay for me to sell somebody else's books, is that right? <laughs> uh, it's not okay for me to sell my books, but to sell somebody else's book. And of course, what uh, Pete Scazzaro talks about here in this book is that uh, without deep personal reflection, uh, just information comes without transformation. And I go back to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, what is, what is scripture for? Uh, all scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for what? Teaching, sometimes we would say doctrine, core truth. I like to say reality from God's perspective. (laughs) Uh, But the next two words are really important. Rebuking and correcting. So when you read scripture, what happens? If we have not been rebuked, if we have not seen ourselves under the conviction of the spirit, uh, then we're not reading scripture in a way that is meant to be read. And that's what you do in the context of a discipleship group. You read it in an honest, open environment with each other and you bring that conviction uh, with each other. You know, I, I compare it to a kind of a stiletto in the heart. You know, what's a stiletto? A sharp knife. Uh, and there are times when I read scripture and it's like, oh gosh, I've been exposed. Um, you got me. And that's what it should be. Uh, now the word correcting comes immediately after that. And uh, I read that to mean, now I've been exposed, how do I get back on the right path? So correcting means getting back on the right path. And that's the environment that we're trying to see happen, certainly in the context of a micro group. And Schizero points out the fact that we are dying because we have not addressed our emotional health. Uh, it paid attention to our emotions and what's going on or a lot of unemotional health that is in, in our lives. I, as I was preparing my notes for this, I had flashbacks flashbacks to experiences where I witnessed a lack of emotional health in leaders. So there was a senior pastor of our church when I was in seminary, uh, who was a brilliant preacher. I've never seen anybody who could articulate the word of God as powerfully as this person. But his lifestyle was the opposite of this brilliant preacher. I remember sitting in his office because I was an intern at the church and something had gone wrong and he was blaming his secretary. And he yelled across, Mrs. Lord, come in here, and reamed her out right in front of me. I thought, oh my gosh, this man's emotional health (laughs) is, I don't think I'd put it in those terms at that point, but uh, it was was really, really clear. We had a trustee at our church in in Chicago, and this trustee was positioning himself to be the vice chair of the board of trustees, which would be second to the senior pastor and he thought he was, should be the next in command. He was not chosen for that role. What did he do? He left the church and took his money with him because he was probably the largest giver in our church. He went back to being a 13 year old, <laughs> emotional. Yeah. Not addressing these you know, deep emotional hurts uh, in our life. So we need to lead out of weakness and vulnerability to embrace grief and loss. Those are the two chapters in the book that really spoke to me the most in terms of that. And so, uh, leading out of weakness and health. Who's our model for leading out of weakness?
2: Jesus.
1: Jesus is our model, right? Uh, he led out of weakness. So let me just read a paragraph uh, that I wrote here. Uh, Jesus did not arrive in a flashy fashion, an infant born in, in, into poverty, His crib was a cattle trough. He was raised in obscurity in the town of Nazareth, where the reputation was there was nothing good that can come out of there. He was a man born to die. Paul tells us that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped and emptying himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. That's our model of weakness. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see that Jesus was his most vulnerable. Phrases like, he was greatly distressed in trouble. My soul is sorrowful unto death. He throws himself on the ground in front of the Father and prays three times, let this cup pass from me. Um, We can lead out of that that weakness. The image that uh, Scazzaro uses in his book, but I had come across this image previously, is of Kintsugi pottery. Anybody of us heard about kintsugi pottery? Uh, this is a Japanese art form back to the 14th century uh, where broken pieces of pottery are put back together again, laced with gold lining. And that's exactly what the word kintsugi means, um, to, to be joined with gold. And the idea is it's, this is even more valuable in its brokenness as it's being put back together again uh, in this fashion so once reassembled the piece is considered more beautiful than the original as the fault lines are now lined with precious veins of gold and that's what the lord is doing for us he's putting us back together again we're broken pottery i think there's an image in scripture that talks about that although we have this truth in what jars of clay uh, we're just broken pieces of the pottery that god is putting back together again and as we share that with each other and those places where we need to be mended and restored that's when God can do his transformative work uh, you know, in our life. And then one more uh, thought here. Uh, the tr- treasure's buried in grief and loss. Uh, that chapter really spoke to me as well. Uh, we don't know how to really mourn well and grieve well in Western culture. In fact, when somebody is grieving too long, what do we say? Well, when are you going to get over it? You know? uh, you know, haven't you had enough time? You know, we get impatient with somebody that's uh, is spending too much time with that grief and loss. And we, we even disconnect ourselves from losses in our life because we experience them pretty regularly uh, in our life. I, my wife and I were having a wonderful uh, birthday celebration with a couple that we just dearly love. And uh, she was a few years older than us. And I walked away from that, that, that celebration with these wonderful friends uh, with a little sadness i said gosh what's the sadness all about what was i experiencing here and i thought no my wife and i are of the age we're going to be entering into a time now where we're going to be losing the people we love and i said i i don't want to run from that lord i want to embrace that sense of grief Uh, Mm -hmm. and you know we'll have our own challenges in terms of our our health issues now that we are at our stage of life and Embracing that, and allowing the Lord to minister to us in the midst of grief and loss, I think is, is so valuable and so important. So, um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll leave it at that uh, to say, you know, we want to create these honest, open environments where we can be ourselves. And uh, Dan is going to take us into kind of a next level here of this. I think I'll push through these, these items, but set Dan up here with these. Comments. Uh, a basic principle that we operate off of here is the extent to which we are willing to reveal to others those areas of our life that need God's transforming touch is the extent to which we are inviting the Holy Spirit to make us new. Now, what does that say? I can be honest with God on this vertical level to the extent that I'm willing to be open to one another on a horizontal level. We need people in our lives with which we can share the deep struggles of our life, confess our sins, um, share what's going on emotionally in relationships, because um, when we do that, we're then actually being open with God Himself, and I, I think that's I think that's a valid uh, statement to make that. Uh, we need the relational side of things so we don't lie to ourselves we don't fool ourselves uh, the heart is deceitful above all things who can understand it jeremiah says if there was ever a truer statement i don't know what is uh, our capacity for self-justification is i think infinite uh, so we're always in the right right yeah um, so it's got that be the other person that's wrong um, so that kind of idea so dan come on up and uh, share with us some of you thoughts oh uh, Dan who are you Dan <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not sure <laughs> Dan is on our GDI team I uh, came actually to here to Nashville I think in 2019
3: was it 2018 I'm oh, sorry okay track.
1: that's right and uh, we was taken by what we were offering joined our very first cohort uh, which is our training system for uh, Church leaders and pastors, and so we do a 16 to 17 session training, meeting once a month, turning church into a disciple making congregation. And so Dan was willing to be a pioneer and a guinea pig. Guinea pig, <laughs> With right, that. right? And the fact that you're still here and engaged, I guess that's a good sign. It's a very good sign. <laughs> <laughs> so, first graduate from one of our, our cohorts, and uh, now he is our director of cohort training. Right. So, again, that's also a good sign. <laughs> so, Dan, um,
3: Thank you, Greg. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so Greg's been doing this for 30 years. Author, the developer, Ralph, years. How many years now? Well, 10. 10 years, how many microgroups? 22. 22 microgroups. And so those that were here yesterday heard uh, Greg uh, uh, model an invitation He's the guys, and I've been I've been praying about this, and that needs to be a true statement. I've been praying about it. Pray, that so he prays for two months for who, who would be in my group. And a key part of his invitation is, I need this. And so this is this is 30 years later, and he is honestly saying, I need this. Good friend of mine who's uh, going to graduate, so he's not here right now. There he is. Dave Chanual. It's it's a key part of his invitation. I need this. And I know the man he's been through, we've been together a couple of years. He's sincere, I need this. And, and why do you need it? Because you want to, to finish well. You want to stay close to the Lord. And so what Greg's talking about, the, the idea we you want to finish well, how do you finish well? Uh, one of my new, a guy I'm reading, J. Robert Clinton uh, studied 5,000 leaders and sad to say one in three biblical leaders contemporary leaders one in three finish well and what happens this is a little off script but i think it's critical what happens we're just talking about it with adam you, you you get to know what to do and how to do it early on you're dependent completely dependent on the lord lord i don't know what to do i don't know what to say after a while you know what to do you know what to say and so that that closeness is not nearly as critical you get really busy and you're doing it on your own and you know there the isolation starts and so what Greg's learned what Dave's learned what I've learned is I I absolutely need this I'm at a stage now Lord I want to finish well I don't want to be you know, those two thirds that don't finish well. So what do you need to do? You need to stay close to the Lord. How do I stay close to the Lord? I need to be in a transparent relationship with other people. And when I'm inviting, I'm saying, I mean this. I have prayed about this. The Lord keeps bringing it to mind. I need this. We need this. You're going to see that this is going to be a good thing for you. So, to me, this is one of the key distinctives of the approach. You say, well, you know, we have relationships and life groups, home groups, lot of growth groups, and you do. But to what level and to what purpose? So here we limit it to three or four. And you, most of you have done groups, you know already, okay, I see the dynamic there. And right from the start, Greg will say, we're going to front load relationships. Okay, in in the newer edition of Trans, uh, Discipleship Essentials, uh, page twenty six, twenty seven, even gives you some sample questions. So we start out. Tell us about your life. You know, start with a funny story. You know, break the ice, but get them going right from the beginning. Tell us about yourselves. So early on there. Um, We have the questions, some people need the questions, some people find it very helpful, I don't know what to talk about, well just follow the list, this is what we're gonna ask you, this is what we're gonna talk about next week. The sessions after that, each person is gonna get about 20 minutes to talk about their faith journey. There's the questions, this is what I'm gonna ask you, so you can prepare. And so we start to share with one another, and this is a critical time. The leader is, is setting the pace here and people are testing the waters. I, I'm gonna sa- share some things. How are people going to respond to what I'm saying? Is there acceptance? Is there surprise? Is there ugh? You know, it, we're, we're, we're moving towards a safe and caring environment, and we start right away. We start with the first meeting. We start with that invitation, Said I've been praying the Lord said, you're the one. Please pray about this. I think it's time for us to walk together. So affirmation with encouragement. You know, early on, people, if they—they they, the guys especially, they, they so desire this, but they're so afraid of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, it's, it's this tension. And so they'll, just the, the groups I've been with, they'll test the waters. You know, they'll sometimes throw something out there. How are they going to respond? You know, people want to be accepted. You know, so you, you you see some things. They'll tell you some stuff. You say, "That's that's great. That's great that you're doing that. It's great that you're sticking with that issue." I know it's tough, and so just give them that little bit of encouragement. Accept them. Yeah, man, I I I I hear you. So we right from the beginning appreciate encourage. Um, all members, this is one of my favorite verses related to this, 1 Corinthians 12, all members care for each other. If one suffers, now this is walk, this is the second stage of developing trust, is walking through difficult times together. And this is true. I used to teach uh, adult spiritual development, and it came out of the Saddleback material, and I would get to the one and others, and man, I would zoom through that so quick. I thought, yeah, this is good, but just me and Jesus, you know, that's, and I honestly believe that. I didn't, I didn't get it, I didn't get it. All members care for each other, care for each other. If one suffers, all the parts suffer. And so the leader now, uh, Greg talked about the importance around both, modeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, we heard it from the stage, modeling. And so that leader, you know, you're, you're attentive, it's, it's, it's reflective listening, it's intentional listening what, what's going on here? What, what you know, I, I feel you. You know, I understand what you're going through. We're, we're gonna, the group, we're gonna walk through this with you. Your Galatians, another great one. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So again, we're, we're moving towards this genuine caring environment, safe, caring environment Key part here, some of you have been through this training. It's, it, there's a lot of, of uh, good basic training online. The idea of, of, of reflective listening, uh, asking questions to gain understanding. You know, it doesn't mean that we're going to agree with someone's position, like, oof, you know, that, that is a problem, and, and, you know, we'll need to pray about it. What do you, what do you think you ought to do about it? But, but it's seeking to understand. You know, you mentioned it, talking about your faith story about this critical time. Tell us some more about that. You know, your family life. You know, you, you talked about the, the, you know, the, the most exciting thing growing up. And then, you know, there was a little bit of sadness, I thought. what? Tell us a little bit about that. So you're, you're listening, especially as you're, you're modeling it for the others. They're, they're, and they're going to watch you. Most of you, most of them, my experience, not nearly as extensive as here, but most of them are going to do what you do. So when you start to turn it over, they're gonna model how you you ran the group, so to speak. And so if this is what you're doing, they're gonna do the same thing. And you can help them out early on by, by asking, oh yeah, that's, that's the way to ask that question. That's the way to follow on. Dave likes to say, you know, if you, you've asked a, you know, what you think's the last question, ask one more. Ask one more, what's the idea? You, you want to get to know the members of the group. You want to get them to know each other. Genuine interest, again, I, I can, and, and they're increasingly testing the water, right? And, and Holy Spirit-led, you're starting to share.
1: Okay, can I throw an illustration in there? real quickly? <clears throat> uh, sometimes these illustrations are very fresh out of a recent experience, but just completed a group about six months ago, and one of the men in the group, in the late 50s, had his own CFO business uh, and finance, and he would make hints early on. This is what I'm, on, very about Excellent. some struggles in his marriage relationship, but they were very oblique in terms of what he was what he was saying. But I watched him get more and more comfortable and trusting, and it, kind of unusual because here he is in his fifties. You know, I'm in my seventies, and we had an eighteen-year-old and a twenty-six-year-old, unmarried. You know, and I think he was a little cautious. Oh, what is? How am I going to? Taint these guys' view of marriage if I start talking about uh, some rough thing, rough things we're going through. But more and more, he got comfortable, and as we got more honest with each other, he would he would credit the honesty of this group that made him face what was not working in his in his relationship with his wife. They ended up separating for 155 days during the time that our group met, <laughs> and. Uh, and worked on their relationship individually and then came back together again. And I'm glad to say now they have re- rejoined. But he would credit the group's honest experience to saving
3: his marriage. Amen. Yeah, so. Thank you, Thank you, Greg. You know, I've had a similar experience. I had the uh, blessing is, 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 is not nearly descriptive enough, but my oldest son, my son-in-law, we just finished up Group, and to watch the transformation in their life. And, and I tell you, I don't, I don't know about you all, but to share with your own child your struggles when they, they, you know, they said, you know, I, I, I thought that wouldn't be a problem for you anymore, pop, you know, but I'll tell you what, that group opened up and there was some healing. It, it was amazing, but you know, you've got to take a risk. And I'll tell you, this is what I'm learning. You know, I'm I'm the ultimate benefactor of that. And we'll get to that just, just here in a moment. This is this is yours, isn't it, Ralph? You know, and there's so much truth. We are as sick as our deepest secrets. So Greg's illustration there, this guy is, you know, giving hints that there things aren't so good. Like, okay, here it comes, you know, and You know, you make the statement, and it's out in the open. And a certain uh, adversary of ours, he's lost a lot of power right there. Because to that point, he's doing a lot of whispering. But now I've spoken it out loud. Okay, well, these guys know. They still like them. They're still going to meet next week. You know, we're, we're on the way to freedom. Confess your sins one to another, that you may be healed. I, I'm, I couldn't believe in that verse any more than I do right now. That's what can happen in my group, but, but you set it up from the beginning. You're, that's where you're headed. And, and you model it as the Lord leads, as the Lord leads.
0: Disciple Makers podcast listeners, I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee, on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there.
3: Powerful quote for me, one from the end here. Bringing the shame of our guilt into the light before trusted members of the body of Christ can have a liberating effect. Jesus bought our freedom. Once something is admitted before others, it begins to lose its power to control. I know some of you know that to be true. Some of you say, if only it could be true, it's true. It can happen in a micro group. This is one of Greg's favorite quotes, and mine too. In confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. Since the confession of sin is made in the presence of a Christian brother, the last stronghold of self-justification is abandoned. On the way to the abundant life, amen, the freedom that Jesus paid for. Amen. Okay. That's great.
1: Thank you, Dan. Well done. Appreciate that. So let's talk about this for a bit. What do you think uh, about this level of honesty? you agree disagree? We have, we have neglected emotional health as a major component uh, in our discipleship. Transparency is necessary ingredient agreement to transformation to likeness This transformation, transparency is not only with God, but with others also. Um, reflect on this. Um, do you believe this to be true? Is a necessary element? Uh, Is it scary? (laughs) Yeah, it should be (laughs) Uh, uh, to start getting the stuff out of the inside of us and trusting it to other people and how well they handle uh, what's going on in our life. But there's a fundamental assumption here. No transformation without transparency. I'm not hearing pushback. <laughs> okay, where does that happen in the midst of your ministries? Where can that occur? Is there a place for it? Do you have the environment where you help foster that? I think a lot of the
2: times, ministers, we see someone outside of our yeah. context yeah. to
1: trust. Yeah, and that's that's appropriate. I mean, there's certain levels i mean in my discipleship groups as a pastor uh i'll admit i was selective in terms of the things that i share um and uh because sometimes it would implicate other people in the life of the church (laughs) and uh so if you're having odds with another staff member or something else that's going on yeah you don't want to necessarily taint somebody with your experience of, of that and so having but having that is important you know somebody outside the outside the context yeah
2: yeah, so we just had a mentor-treat. Yeah. And, uh, and we do decide but uh, the speaker said something that was, that's more than it was. You know, men especially can, not to say that women don't, but <laughs> men uh, can bond through accomplishment, but that bond doesn't last. Mm. So when men bond mm. through weakness, uh-huh. that mm. bond stays. Wow, Yeah. I thank remember. you. And he sent us off, and we, we got in groups of three, and he uh, said, so go talk about, you know, what happens in the, when
1: you're in the, in the desert. And boom,
2: you know, I got I got, <laughs> I got got three guys that I'm running for now. Okay. And yeah, we're in the wilderness.
1: Okay. Three guys that you want to spend some time with. Is that what you mean? Well, I already got a group. You got a group. Okay. I know these guys now. Yeah. Okay.
2: So much better than I did before yeah. because they, we all shared our wilderness experience. and okay. We bonded through. Got it.
1: Through, through weakness.
2: Yeah.
1: Great. Thank you. That's a very good insight. Very helpful. It wasn't mine. Yeah. Well, well, I understand. <laughs> well, thanks for repeating it. <laughs> so, but yeah, first thing I thought of was bonding through accomplishment. No, it's usually competition through accomplishment, not bonding through accomplishment, right? And so, okay. Go They're coming. Strap. It's great that
2: you bring this out to the leaders um, the idea of being intentional. With uh, transparency, uh, as well as led like, a couple of groups. Um, there are times in your group when you see that as part of building that, that trust in that group and creating a safe space. You do, as a leader, I will say something that will be a very hard truth, like maybe confessing pornography. Mm-hmm. That opened up the world for the other guys who might be hesitant about right. bring it out because, like you said, sin wants us to keep quiet, right? Right. For itself. So, by doing that, that just open up and, and, and create a safe space. Right. A place where outside of that most
1: men and and women probably don't have uh, a safe space to be that, to be wrong, to be vulnerable. And man, it's just, it's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. We've, there's a lot of talk about the the concept of shame today and uh, you don't have to go any further than Genesis three to get to that concept. Do you? Uh, So where were the where were Adam and Eve in the garden? Hiding from God in shame, right? And shame is hiding. And if we bring this out, uh, then oh my gosh, you know, what are people gonna think of me if I'm wrestling with what we imagine is the worst possible thing uh, that has gone through our minds or what our our addictions may be in terms of uh, emotions or uh, other types of addictions. And uh, that sense of rejection that will occur if we bring this out and, you know, et cetera. So those kinds of things. Dean? Yeah, Dean, right?
2: I found transforming drug groups is that we will often start telling our kind of milestone stories. We'll talk about
1: I know, say that, yeah.
2: Milestone stories. Okay. So spiritual highs, but also oh, okay. you know, places we've fallen into it, and we talk about it in the context of being able to get each other back. Because you know, Devil doesn't hit me in twenty thousand different ways; he hits me about the same five. And so, if I right, if they know yeah.
1: they know where where my weak are. We can get each other. Back. Yeah, yeah. I, I the. the phrase in Romans 6 or not, um, Ephesians 6 12 I think it is 11 uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may you know stand against the wiles schemes strategies um, craftiness <laughs> but it's, as you say it's usually the same four or five things you know that we all has our of our susceptibilities and that Satan uses and uh, goes right after those things you know again okay
2: yes Say this would require a lot of emotional health on the part of the leader of the group mm-hmm. to lead this. Security. So, right. So then the, yeah. the next the question that comes to my mind is since these folks are going to be leading groups next, how do you gauge that, help that in the development? Do, have you found
4: that, I've only led two cycles of microgroups, but have you found uh, like that people who have gone through this are at a place where they, are able to once they're done, or do you need to talk to someone, you're not ready this, for this yet? Or, because yeah. that's a big, that's a high bar.
1: It is, uh, you're, you're right. And I mean, as I survey the, the groups that I have, have done, there's been a couple of times when I've had men who were just incapable of, of being personal, right. frankly. Uh, I mean, the very second group I uh, had in my church in Chicago, uh, two of the men in, in that group uh, as soon as you got close, boy, deflection happened immediately uh, off to some kind of thing that so they could be emotionally separated from the topic that we're talking about and, and try and, and I remember about two, two thirds of the way through that group, um, we do an evaluation. We do a reviewing of the covenant. And so I brought up the fact that this very fact, what I see happening here is and uh I, don't, I still don't think they could, could quite get it, because we're not emotionally wired and able uh, to do that. And in some ways, yeah, you don't necessarily want those people to go on and replicate themselves right, right. Uh, in, in, that, in that fashion, because they'll turn the Discipleship Essentials into a head trip, right. and that's what it will be. You know, We've got more knowledge. So you know? did you stop, did you
4: encourage them not to? I,
1: uh, I didn't push them hard to do it. <laughs> <laughs> So, But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a challenge. Uh, so, you know, the last element up here is if we display weakness, will we lose authority? Is that a, is that a fear if we show our openness? Um, that's not really the, the, you know, I'm seeing a shaking. Why, why would you say, no, that's not the case?
2: I think it builds authority. Okay. Yeah. Shows strength. Yeah.
1: I think there was a period of time um, when <laughs> pastors were taught not to be vulnerable. In the pulpit, and in, in in particular, and for that very reason, if you show the chinks in your armor, you will not have the authority that you need to lead the church. So fake it. You know, basically, is what they were what they were being taught. And I, very, my very first pastor that I worked under, uh, right out of seminary, had been taught that very thing: that you do not get close to people in your congregation. Uh, you keep a distance uh, from them because distance equals authority. You know. And uh, I had been taught the opposite. You know, coming out of out of that. So needless to say, we had a little conflict around around that that issue. So, okay, um, Ralph is going to take us through the next part here uh, around the issue of covenant, and uh, we'll take a look start from here, and I'll advance the slides, Ralph, as as we go, or okay. whatever is helpful.
4: Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm Ralph Rittenhouse, uh, president of Global Discipleship Initiative, and. Greg and I are partners in this thing, and we have been traveling together for quite some time and just enjoying the trip that God has given us. We had the opportunity to talk uh, a couple of weeks ago um, to John Jackson, who's the president of William Jessup University in Southern California, or Central California, and he made the comment that if, if anything that we've learned through this pandemic, it's that the church is shallow. And he talks to lots of pastors. He has a lot of pastor clout in the Sacramento area. And he said that all of them are saying the same thing. We just have not built disciples. And one thing that I think this conference is showing us and has been showing us through the years is there is a desperate need for disciple making and pastors do not know how to do it. I was a pastor for 25 years and did not know how to make a disciple. Uh, Just didn't know how to do it. uh, I came across this material when we were desperate to find something to help us, and uh, it transformed our church. And if you haven't, you weren't here for the yesterday's session where we did the Camarillo story, and we told all of that, it's available if you take one of those yellow cards that's on the sheet there and say, hey, send me the Camarillo story, I can email you the story. Uh, we've written it out so that you can have it. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> use those yellow cards and turn them in and let us know what you need and we'll get back with you. Uh, on those things. But I want to share with you uh, an important part of the covenant here um, because I believe that accountability ac- accelerates growth. And so we start uh, a, a, cov- a group like this for the covenant that we all sign and agree to. My first session with, my fr- with the group. Is we sit down and we review the book, we review our intention, and we look at this covenant, and everybody signs it in the in the presence of everybody else. So I'm not just holding them accountable; they're holding each other accountable to these things. And the things that are in this covenant, uh, you'll see them in approximately page 15 of the book. It Depends on which copy you have, which yeah. which edition you have, uh, but you'll you'll see this Disciples Covenant uh, in order to grow toward maturity in Christ. Uh, and complete discipleships, and so I commit myself to the following standards. Number one, I will complete all assignments on a weekly basis prior to my discipleship appointment and in order to contribute fully. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I wrote a little article recently I called uh, dictation, no, uh, Discovery, Not Dictation. Uh, for 25 years in the pulpit, I did dictation. I even gave them notes. And I said, take. You know, we give you a note-taking outline. Take notes. You'll learn more that way. And and we encouraged our people to take notes during the dictation session. Uh, it wasn't until I got involved in these kinds of groups that I realized how important this idea was. Discovery is far more effective in teaching than dictation. Uh, some of you are probably teachers. You've nodded here. You you understand what that's talking about. I went into a. I, I became a a, a a in a grocery store public market in, in, in southern Florida, I, my first job, and my first job was to you know, load the groceries for the ladies at the end of the line, carry them out to their car, that's what we did. And, but when I was being oriented to the store, they took me around and they showed me various things that I'd need to know as you know, a part of their employee system now, and I remember doing that, and then about midway through the first morning, I said, I'm getting thirsty, where was that water fountain? and I couldn't remember. I knew they showed me a water fountain, but I didn't remember where the water fountain was. And finally I wandered through the store sw- and I found the water. I never had to look, I never had to ask that question again, because I discovered where the water fountain was. <laughs> and, and I knew from then on, when somebody goes home and they, they work through scripture themselves, and they're with God and with their with their workbook and their Bible, they're, they're learning these things. They're discovering these things. Then they come back to the group and they articulate these things in front of three other men. They hear the words coming out of their own mouth. Suddenly, they're learning things that I've been preaching for years and they didn't get. You know, they just didn't get it. And now they're articulating it to one another. And this learning process goes on. So this is a critical part of it that they do this prior study before they come. And of course, there's the memory verse that's included in that as well. And I love to camp on this for a minute because I, you know, I, my memory's gone. You know, I don't remember things really well. I'm old. I'm 76 years old, so I don't remember stuff as well as I used to. But because of that, I have to take that memory verse, and sometimes it's more than, if you've been through the material, you know there's more than one verse. Sometimes there's three verses in there, or even four. You know, when you're you're, you're talking about the armor of God, you gotta do them all, and you gotta remember all these things. Well, I have to start the week, the day after the session, I have to start on next week's memory verse. So all week long, this the word of God is, is just going through my mind and my heart, because I get up in the morning and I say the verse, I get up in, you know, in the afternoon, and, and then in the evening, I say it again before I go to sleep. I, I repeat this verse over. Can you imagine? Just think about how that transforms a life when you're letting your mind just go over and over on Scripture like that. A, we went into one session, I remember, and we were teaching, and uh, we had some pastors there. And one pastor had started using everything, and he made the comment in front of everybody. We don't do the memory verse. We just, you know, we're too old to memorize. A little bit. We stopped him. <laughs> I stopped this guy personally because, you know, he's a friend of mine. And I said, you can't do that. You cannot take that away from God. He wants to use that to help transform the lives and hearts and minds of the men that are in your group. Don't take that memory thing out of there. You've got to do that to allow the Holy Spirit that opportunity to do that work. That's part of the transformation process. God transforms us through his word. So you, you, they, make a, they make a covenant to complete the assignments ahead of time. They've done that. They come and everybody shares. And that's the richness of what you learn there, is it's not one teacher, the Holy Spirit of course is our all our teacher, but when we come into the group of four, there are four guys that are contributing information and things that they've learned to this learning experience. And I'm looking at my answers and I'm thinking, his answer's better than mine. You know, I scratch your mine, and I'm writing, my, I'm writing that one down, you know, or I'm adding to mine. I'm, I'm, I've got my margins of my book all filled with answers somebody else has given me and ideas and, and illustrations that they have. Uh, and you just accumulate that. And, you know, I've done 20, 21, 22 groups now. I got lots of stuff here. I got some really rich stuff that I've collected through the years the guys that have been in my group and how God has taught them and, what they, and how they explain that particular thing. So you, you come with that. You meet uh, each week uh, on a weekly basis for an hour and a half. And sometimes that's challenging for people to be able to consistently do that. Most of the time, if you set them up right, you help them understand in advance, they'll, they'll make that commit. They'll find that time. But there will be times in your experience with them that that's going to be difficult. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's, a, it's a, a good reason, a logical reason. They can't be there they are on vacation, or they're on a business trip, or whatever. And you have to make the decision as the leader whether you're going to go on without them and catch them up later on. Or if they're a mature believer, maybe you won't have. You can trust them to do their homework and, get in, and stay up with everybody. You have to make that decision as a leader. But that's, uh, that's an important commitment they made. And you don't want to, obviously, let someone begin to slip in that commitment. Um, and again, because you sign these commitments together, you don't have to be the bad guy all the time. The other guys in the group will help you, you know. Uh, John, why don't you call him and tell him that he need, that we're missing him or whatever. Um, offer myself fully to the Lord in anticipation that I'm entering a time of accelerated transformation. We believe that accountability accelerates transformation. You, you're in that group. You're saying things. You're learning things together. Uh, you're at the end of each assignment. You're, at, you're saying those things. Things about how has this impacted my life? How is this going to affect me? Uh, You're able to hold each other accountable to what God's doing. And when things come up, and they do, they will always come up. Issues will come up. Child rearing issues, marital issues, issues at work, they'll come up. They come up in the prayer time. They come up in the discussion. And you can challenge each other on those things. And the numbers of marriages that we have seen saved through just being together is a group of guys like this. You don't let each other slip on these things and when these things come out, you hold each other accountable, you encourage with scripture and God does work in that. And, and, and God s- saves marriages through them. Um, you contribute to that vulnerability, we've talked about that and that's been so important that, that, that being able to foster trust and that's been handled well. I won't spend any more time on that, but that's so, so critical. Um, we're sick as a secret, so. Number five, give serious consideration to continuing the discipling chain by committing myself to invest in at least two other people for the year following, in the year following the initial completion of Discipleship Essentials. Now, when we ask people to sign this, they don't know exactly what they're committing to. And so we, we kind of, you know. Uh, ease up there a little bit we give give serious consideration but by the time we get to the end it's not just serious consideration we're asking them to make that commitment we're asking them to follow through that Uh, at least you know three or four weeks before we get to the end or sessions before we get to the end. i'm saying who are you thinking who is god putting on your heart are you praying yet about those people that you want to to continue this with and then i help them through how to ask the person and we go through and i I follow as closely as I can with that because that's a critical time. Uh, that passing of the baton is a critical moment, and you want to be able to help them do that. We, we went through a time where we uh, were not seeing the kind of multiplication that we had initially seen with our groups when we first started. I got I got two elders and an elder on the rise. When, you know, in my first group, these were guys that continued. They jumped right away and, and multiplied. But that's not always the case sometimes you have someone who's not as ready to in fact I had a group re- recently that the guy in the very beginning says I'm not going to be able to do that I just don't do that you know what he, he he has some of these issues that we talked about uh, just a few moments ago he doesn't share himself very well he's not very open and uh, that doesn't uh, that doesn't he doesn't make good strong friendships he just doesn't know how to do that and so he Sometimes you don't push them because they are not ready. Sometimes you have to recognize and help them walk through that. Uh, some, and you walk alongside them, whatever is necessary. But continuing the multiplying chain is critical to what I think Jesus commanded us to do. And we've, we camp in the study, we camp on the uh, Timothy passage, uh, 2 Timothy 2.2. You know, things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust our faithful people who will be able to pass them on to others. We want them to be able to do that. I think that was Jesus' plan from the very beginning. I think that's what he intended for his disciples, and so that's what we we do. You want them to know, and it starts in this first uh, session when you're reviewing the covenant, you want them to know that the purpose here is not to become a better Christ-like person, although that's important. That Christ-likeness has to go into that (laughs) disciple-making, has to include that disciple-making component. When you say, Uh, Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. When Jesus says that, he also means that very command that he's giving them right then. The last command, which is to go and make disciples. You don't leave that command out. If you're teaching them to obey all the commands, you've got to include the last command, which is to make disciples. Uh, And so our job is not done until they're making disciples. I don't consider my job finished when when we complete the assignments, when we get through the book. Uh, but not until they're making disciples themselves. I want to walk with them and keep them going. So um, this covenant's really critical. You start out at the very beginning with it. You, you explain it to them. Everybody signs that in blood. <laughs> but, question?
2: Yeah. During during it, I think we're look, we, we're asked to get the covenant a couple of times, and one of the questions was, you know, what is it that you think should be added to or whatever. One thing that's interesting is about doing ministry together. I think it was even mentioned about never do ministry alone. home. And one of the things I found very powerful is, is if we, maybe in your church, if you have to go visit the sick, you know, you don't do it alone. You do it with some, maybe somebody from your group. Um, is there any consideration to maybe adding something like that? to the uh, we,
4: we encourage you to make the additions that you feel uh, would be helpful for your group. Every group is in a different situation. You're, uh, but you're, yeah, but right here. Bottom
1: line. <laughs>
4: yeah, bottom line there above commitments, minimum standard of accountability. Uh, you can, and it's renewed, it's two different times in the, in the process. You stop and you go back and look at the covenant together. You review it. You talk about how you're doing and what, what needs to be changed. And when you find those kinds of things, perfectly legitimate to add those things and say, you know, I think it will be helpful for us. You know, when we come to that witnessing chapter, let's go out and let's go let's go follow up some contacts that the church has made. Let's go do some witnessing together, whatever, and do those. Add that uh, in there. This took perfectly acceptable. Encouraged. Great, great observation. Other thoughts, questions? Yes. I see that handle almost started to raise.
2: Um, I was just going to say, there's um, a scripture I think in Luke, uh, maybe six or
4: something that kind of goes along with that, where you see. Um, like Jesus going up to the Father right to pray, and then he's um, it's like
2: up in and out or whatever. And you're the in is like he's spending time with his disciples, and then then they go out and they like preach to the crowd or whatever. Right. too. Yeah. So
4: just a scripture to kind of go along with. Yeah, that's great. Kind of all the
0: components of that.
4: Uh, I, I, I one of the things that you noticed this morning when Dan came up here and 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 talked, and we are we're continually adding to our team. And I believe that in, in this session that we do here in Nashville, every time we have people who are added to our team. If you're one of those people, be sure to ident- identify yourself, okay? <laughs> if you're one that God is saying, you know, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to be a part of the team. Uh, we're just having some exciting things happen. And we're continuing, God is continuing to expand this disciple-making. And uh, we are privileged to have some things that work. And God is using, and we're we're love to sharing it. But we we love the fact that God is continuing to expand those who are committed to making disciples. will make disciples. Yeah, great.
1: Good. As we wrap up this session, because we're right at the nine o'clock hour, um, just want to make you aware of some resources that GDI offers uh, for you. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel called GDI Greg Ogden Microgroups. Lots of videos on there for training purposes, so that you can look that up. We have a developing blog, uh, which you can see under that particular title. But uh, Dan, come on up. Um, talk a little bit about this uh, GDI cohort training. Dan is our director of cohorts. And uh, this 16, 17 month, uh, or sessions I should say, because we sometimes take breaks. But right. tell us about
3: that. Right, so uh, as Craig mentioned, I've been through the program, guinea pig first group, and Lennon, a group through dates, and that group finishing up. And so 16 content sessions, a great inter- uh, introductory sessions, It's all online now. So there's, there's this additional opportunity to interact uh, throughout the month. We meet once a month, two hours, probably a good two hours of <clears throat> content preparation time. But it's, it's a deep dive. It's a deep dive into the things we've really just touched on. And some we, we didn't even have time to touch on. And so the, the ideal person for this cohort experience is someone you, you've already done microgroups. As a matter of fact, you're now starting to replicate. And those that have done it say, yeah, I've got some questions now that I didn't have before. So it's, it's the idea of just-in-time training. Where's that water fountain again, you know? And so that's, that's when you're ready. So you get into some microgroups. We have something we call a coaching microgroup. But if you want to know more about that you say, "Well, tell me more about that, we'll, we can do it uh, after we dismiss. I'll tell you about that. Ralph can tell you about that. That's a good interim step. Hey, I'd like to get started you know and, and what Ralph does we'll just talk about that. A bit, yeah Ralph. yeah
4: sometimes uh, you're going back to your church, you've not done this before you, but you're, and you're not quite sure how you're going to launch this in your church. We coach people through that point, too. And if that's what you would like, you know, I I phone call every week. I'm calling pastors in various countries of the world, telling them how to get it started in their church. And we'll keep going as long as we need to. Sometimes we group these pastors together. Have a group with a pastor from Switzerland, a pastor from the U.K., a a pastor from India, and a pastor from Philadelphia. (laughs) <laughs> and we meet once a week. And we're just, because they're launching this fall, they're launching this in their churches. And so we're, we get together, we talk through, we, we uh, hash through problems and stuff like that. So if that would be helpful to you, let us know. We'd be glad to help.
1: Yeah, great. Ralph said, uh, complete this card if you would uh, for us for information. If you would like to have anything specific from us, we'd be glad to follow up and, and grab it. But we'd just like to know uh, we can be of assistance to you in any way to, to do that. Dave?
0: I can uh, attest to the support that GDI provides. Uh, we,
2: we got to a point in Thank our, you. in Kansas City, where I've never been before with Michael growing developing, and developing. I reached out to GDI, and they have been a tremendous support. So you are not alone in this and that.
1: Great. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Dan. So we got resources in the back table and our table outside there, so if any of those uh, discipleship essentials is our our bread-and-butter curriculum, uh, 25 lessons, and there's an intro curriculum, which is a lot smaller, called Essential Guide, and then my textbook is Transforming Discipleship that gives you the big picture of what that's what it's all about. Anybody read Transforming Discipleship here? Okay. Would, would you recommend it? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much
0: for coming. Thank you all so much for listening. There was some incredible stuff in that episode. I hope that it helped you along your way as you're discipling people in small groups and in large groups, that it will encourage you and inspire you to go to new levels of transparency with the people that you're discipling. And I also want to encourage you to go on over to discipleship.org and look at purchasing tickets for this year's forum because it is coming up just around the corner. All right, everybody, thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.